encourage you to turn that little letter of Jude with me this morning. I know it's a short letter, you can read through it very quickly, but it has a very powerful and important message for the church, for all those living in the last times, which that's the church Jude is writing to, by the way, in the first century, those living in the last time since the coming of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension to the Father's side. The church has lived in the last times, waiting for the return of our King, who will come not to save from sin, that's already been accomplished, but to judge the living and the dead. So Jude has been very clear, certainly in verses 5 through 16, that judgment is sure for those who rebel against God's authority, twist his grace for their own selfish gain. And they're in the church. They've always been in the church. God has used even those who have very ungodly motives to sanctify them and build his church. We must be watchful, persevere in the faith, lest our own sinful desires begin to align with those who claim to follow the Lord Jesus. So verses 5 through 16, kind of blowing up, expanding on verse 4. Uh, and now Jude is going to come back around. Um, i explain some more of verse 3. His appeal to contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. So he opened with a reminder of verse 5, and he does so again in verse 17. I'm going to pick up right at verse 17. Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is God's holy word. Let's pray together. Oh God, you have extended such great mercy to us. And now we can extend that mercy to others. Well, there's much that is presented here in your word that's packed into these few verses and we admit that we need your help to understand it, to apply it rightly in our lives. And we are grateful, Lord, that you do not leave us alone to do this, but give us of your spirit. Holy Spirit, come, teach us. Speak to us through this word, make us attentive. Speak faithfully to your servant. With the words of my mouth, meditation of our hearts, be pleasing, acceptable to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time I saw you, you were knee-high to a grasshopper. Now, if you spent a lot of time in the South or you've grown up in the South, then you know exactly what it is I've just said. The last time I saw you, you were a lot younger. It's been a while. Or maybe, there's a little nuance, maybe you were a lot shorter the last time I saw you. But as you've grown up in the North, you spent more time in the North, then... You're thinking, okay, I know what my knee is, I know what a grasshopper is, and there's some comparison here, but we may need some help uh, from those who have spent more time in the South. Or, that dog don't hunt. 
Hmm. If you're from the north, you're thinking, okay, you've got a lazy dog. You're not supposed to hunt. But again, our southern brothers and sisters know. You know that, that means if that dog don't hunt, then that idea you have isn't very good. Someone doesn't believe you. You need that, that little extra help to understand. Uh, so for those of you in the South, who have grown up in the South, thank you for your patience with us. Uh, you've been raised a little farther north. You need, you need to flesh out some of these phrases. Uh, for us. But thankfully for the church in the New Testament, for us today, this is what Jude is doing as part of this letter. He has appealed to them to contend for the faith in verse 3. And when, when we hear this, and you and I hear that phrase, we've got an idea of what this means. But how do we do this? What does this look like? It would be helpful if Jude could expound a little bit more on what uh, he means with this central theme of this letter. And that's what he does powerfully here in verses 17 through 23. What does it mean for you to contend for the faith? Start again by drawing on the past and moving it into the present life of the church. So I want us to use three words. We're going to use these as our, our memory hooks as we look at these verses together. Jude says, remember what has been said by the apostles. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Retain what is yours. And finally, regain others by showing mercy. Remember, retain, regain. Jude is a good teacher. He's a good preacher. He uses lots of illustrations and examples to make his point. He's also shown himself to be a pretty good historian. He goes and brings us back to Cain, Korah, Balaam, all the way back to the Exodus from Egypt, he's referenced tradition that would have come from the early parts of, of human history. And now he brings it to more recent history. Remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostles are the foundation of the church, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. They bore witness to Jesus' interpretation of his gospel. So there's an authority here behind this word. Peter's going to echo these words almost verbatim in his second letter. Here's a witness that goes beyond the Jewish tradition. It's an apostolic witness. And the apostles would say from time to time things like this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise Men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Or in 2 Timothy 3. But understanding this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, Sworn with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These, these certain people are here, now, in the church, is Jude's point. So he connects the apostles' word with those in the church, as he goes into verse 19. They live instinctively, they're following their own natural desire and sin. 1 Corinthians 2, the apostle says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So these leaders, these teachers in the church, they're not filled with the Spirit. They're not animated by the Spirit of God. We'd say they're not born of the Spirit. If we go to John chapter 1, and heeding Paul's words, again, 1 Corinthians, Romans 8, they could not rightfully claim to be disciples of Jesus. And they may be a part of the visible church. But without the Spirit, bringing life to what is dead, they're not part of that invisible, uh, eternal church of the Lord Jesus. My wife will spend time collecting pictures over the course of the year of our family. Family trips, major events, and sometimes just the ordinary, everyday stuff of life. And she uploads these pictures to Shutterfly. And we've been waiting with eager anticipation to get this album um, in the mail. And it came just a couple of days ago. Uh, so each of us at different times have sat down and, and remembered this last year. Remembering is such an important part of contending for the faith. God's people must remember who he is. They must remember his mercy and faithfulness and provision. We must remember that we serve the Lord of all creation who has made us for his glory. We must remember that he is king and sovereign over all, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there is no people, there is no leader, there is no president or potential president, there is no king, no nation that can hinder his plan or purpose for his creation. He is God. There is no other. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted over all the earth. He is glorified in redeeming a people for himself. He is glorified in the judgment of the wicked. Remember, the Lord told his church through the apostles that this would happen. There would be those who would mock, who would make fun of this gospel message. They would make fun of those who would put their faith and rest in Jesus. Also, the word of the cross is falling to those who are perishing. So now this prophecy, this word is being fulfilled in the church in the first century, being fulfilled in the church now, 21st century. And I really think it's, it's an assurance for us, maybe, maybe a confirmation. What the apostles talked about, what they predicted is happening. Which means it's happening according to God's plan. I mean, the church is is living and growing as expected. These folks in the church who are twisting God's grace, leading others away from the truth, there, there's certainly a danger there. Or Jude wouldn't have just set aside what he was going to write and write this instead. It's a danger for the church, but it's not an ultimate threat to the truth. It's been predicted, can be expected as the Lord disciplines uh, his church. And the greatest danger for the church, we even say that the greatest enemies for the church have always come from within. And I say that not to frighten us, but also not to leave us completely surprised. We rejoice and give thanks when there is peace in the church, when there is unity in the church. We pray for this. We pursue this. We seek to humble ourselves. 
in the sight of the Lord, serving one another. But let's not mistake the blessing of our God and his favor upon us by a state of just continual bliss or the fact that there's no conflict within the church. No one's going to be there. So we're graciously and truthfully contending for the faith. Always in the life of the church. How are we doing this? We're remembering the promises of God, so our experiences are calibrated by the witness of God's word. Now Jude begins to unpack this contending uh, some more in 20 and 21. I think this is probably the rubber meets the road most practical part of this letter. The church is to retain, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's actually the only command. The only imperative there is to keep yourselves in the love of God. We, we've already talked about the tension there. It's God who keeps us. Throughout the whole great story, the Lord keeps his children, but his children keep themselves in his love. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jude gives expression to this love for God, keeping his commandments. And there's three participles there, ongoing actions for believers. The three things all supporting keeping yourselves in the love of God. First is building yourselves up in the most holy faith. That is imagery we're familiar with. We're familiar with the church being described as a building, with each of its members as living stones, as a part of the structure. When I think of that imagery, a picture that, uh, that was taken while we were back in Michigan just last couple months ago. And, uh, we were spending some time with an extended family uh, on Katie's side, and so we got ages from 10 to about 24, all the cousins are together, and the younger cousins uh, convinced the older ones to make one of these human pyramids. Didn't take much convincing, I don't think. And uh, so my father-in-law's basement, they got down on, on all fours, and I think there were six on the bottom, and then five, and then went all the way up in a human pyramid. And they survived just long enough so we could snap a picture of it. But the look on Hannah's face in this picture told you it wasn't all that easy, maybe not the most comfortable, but you did it. But for the church, Christ is our foundation. It's the, it's the gospel of Christ that is being built upon. So we're committing ourselves to the study of God's word. We really cannot grow in what we do not know. It's a simple slogan. We're learning, we're growing in our understanding of the gospel. And this doesn't happen by just you know, standing in the basement and watching the rest of the family members strive to build. We'll take initiative. It, it may put us out of our comfort zones sometimes to build upon this foundation of faith, the truth delivered to the saints. Tom Schreiner captures this point along with its purpose. Uh, when he says, affection for God increases, not through bypassing the mind, but by means of it. Affection for God increases, not bypassing the mind, by means of it. Building yourselves up in the faith. Second way to keep yourselves in love of God is at the end of verse 20. And I don't think this one surprises us. The battle, the battle against false teaching rarely won by just sound argument. 
as important as, as sound argument is, it's through prayer. That's where the battle is fought. In prayer, fully dependent upon the only one who can affect change in the lives of those around us, which may be why consistent prayer is so hard. All kinds of distractions when it comes time to pray, which is all the time. Remember Hudson Taylor in the, the mid-1800s, the first missionaries to China, the founder of the China Inland Mission, a man of prayer, diligent in prayer. He's remembered for saying that Satan will always find you something to do, if only arranging a window blind. He'll always find you something to do. There's always a, a distraction to divert us from fervent prayer. But if we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must be in constant conversation with our Father. That's what, that's what Jude intends here. Everyday prayers of Christians filled with the Spirit of God. Some have taken these words and said, well, you know, this must be speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit. It's obviously right here. And we're not going to deny that the speaking in tongues is included in that whole idea of praying in the Spirit of God, but not his intention here. Now, there's a parallel to what Jude says here in Ephesians chapter 6. It's where we find the armor of God that Paul writes about. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying, acknowledging our, our weaknesses, our helplessness before the Lord. When, when we do that, when we're in that posture, that, that knits us all the closer to the Lord in love. One more way, keeping yourselves in the love of God. It's through waiting. Verse 21. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude has the end game in mind. He has, he has the end. That's his focus. We wait for the coming of Christ, the return of our King. And when we know mercy is being multiplied in the present, that's back in verse 2, but that mercy will find its fulfillment when Jesus returns. Eternal life with our Savior. Paul says in Titus 2 that we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why our love for the Lord begins to wane when we, when we lose sight of the end goal. Our eyes are no longer fixed upon Christ. This, this is actually the, this is true of the main character in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress whose name just so happens to be Christian. And it just Pilgrim's Progress as a whole, a beautiful tale, a beautiful picture of what keeping yourself in the love of God looks like. Christian becomes a Christian very early on in that story, but it's the rest, it's the journey towards the celestial city. And he's not to leave the path, even when it looks treacherous. When he looks for easier ways, that's, that's when he becomes ensnared, loses sight of, of the goal of the celestial city. And we stop longing for Christ's return. We, we stop longing for our heavenly home. That's when it's easy to despair. 
and hopelessness creeps in. I, I think the longer that we are disciples of Jesus, the greater our longing will be. I can see it in your faces. I can see that in the journeys that the Lord is shepherding you on. Through the green valleys, through the green pastures, and through the dark valleys. Wait for the Lord. The psalmist says, be strong, let your heart take courage, and wait for the Lord. So we anticipate the return of Jesus. We wait for his, just the mercy of God in Christ at his return. Let's not underestimate the, the mercy that he gives every moment of every day. He gives mercy to stand. He gives mercy to endure. The mercy that we need for each moment he provides. Think, well, that's a lot of mercy. Yeah, it is. Because he is a God of steadfast love and mercy. You can't exhaust this. We receive his mercy for the moment, and then we can extend that mercy for the moment. We extend the mercy that we receive from our God. That's where Jude goes in these last two verses. So we remember what has been said, we retain, keep ourselves in the love of God, and we regain those who may be doubting, drifting away. Uh, Jude loves these groupings of three. Are you picking up on that? We just saw you know, this group of three in 2021. Here's another one. The church is to extend mercy to those who doubt, to those who are in great peril. So there, there seems to be a spectrum here of danger, but it's the same mercy. Have compassion. Try and help those who are wavering in the faith. There are some who think, you know what these teachers are saying sounds pretty good. There seems to be some freedom in this. Let's check it out. Maybe convincing. And so they're wavering, no longer building themselves up in the faith. So don't just leave them by the curb. Just ignore them. That would be the easier thing to do. Show your concern. Move toward them in mercy and compassion that they might be regained. In 2 Timothy 2, the apostles offering this instruction to, to Timothy, the Lord's servant. The leader is one who is correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may be regained. Then there are others who are a little farther down this path of confusion, abandoning the faith. The first part of verse 23. So they, they kind of bought into this false gospel, at least to some degree. And yet there's still hope. They're not in the fire of eternal judgment yet. They may be rescued by the grace of God, through the kindness and mercy of his people. This is something we see God doing for the high priest in Zechariah 3, snatching him from the fire by cleansing him from sin. The prophet brings together that language of, of fire and the garments that are stained by the flesh. Listen to Zechariah 3. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you 
the pure vessels. Moving into this, this last group of folks who are, are ensnared in sin. And mercy is still shown. But here it's a mercy mixed with fear. The fear of God, a wonder of Him that moves us to mercy, but it's also the fear of contamination. The defilement of sin can, can spread very quickly, even to those who are pretending to show mercy. We were kind of we were prayed over this this morning. So many that are quarantined in this country around the world because of this coronavirus, trying to keep it from spreading. You know, the doctors and nurses are attending to them, they're trying to help, they're serving, but with the appropriate fear of contamination. They're going to be in their masks and gloves and other things. And so Jude gives us, it's really a shocking picture of how polluting sin can be. Whether you take this actually physically or metaphorically, you really come to the same place. Our sin nature contaminates, stains that which is the closest to us and those who are the closest to us. As a church, as Christians, we're to show the love of Christ, extend mercy, those steeped in sin, while at the same time appropriately fearful, hating the corruption brought by sin. Here's what I think we really must be watchful, fervent in prayer, accountable to one another in the body of Christ. We're new creatures in Christ, but the, the flesh, it's, it's there deceiving, luring us in. And so we may find that we secretly begin to love for ourselves what mercy is attempting to drive away from someone else. And maybe an allurement of good drinks, or an allurement of pornography, or the allurement of social media likes, or greed, material wealth. As we show kindness and mercy coming alongside others who may be indulging in sin, we must be fearful of these trappings ourselves. Paul reminds the Corinthian church. They're all accountable to God. Each will appear before him. And it's in that, knowing the fear of the Lord, that we persuade others to turn from their sin. We might, we might be regained in the kingdom of Christ. So holding this mercy and fear together, really important, especially important approaching brothers and sisters over their sin, which we do humbly and patiently and cautiously. We'll plug for the newsletter later and read more about that. If it's all mercy without fear, then we tend to over-sympathize, kind of absolve other personal responsibility. If it's all fear without mercy, well, then we can come across as more condemning, come across with a spirit of judgment. So I hope we're hearing something really important from Jude. It is not enough to simply resist the folks in the church and be twisting God's grace. And it's important. We must, we must grow in faith. Well, that's what we need to hear. We must grow in faith ourselves and not just resist. Contending for the faith is, is actively pursuing Christ. It's challenging for us because we're usually much easier to spot the error in someone else, to spot their sin, and then move away or quarantine ourselves. <clears throat> much harder 
to move toward a moment of mercy, to look toward others. Look at what's good, what's unifying, instead of hanging on to what really divides us and looking for that division, looking for the fight. Recent film uh, came out in 1917. Difficult film to watch, it depicts the, the horrors of war, but it's beautifully done. And the main character has a message that he's taking to the commanding officer as a front line. Uh, the message is to stop the attack. It's going to lead to just to the death of many. And before this soldier heads off on his own to try and get to the front lines, and this commander, another officer who's provided some assistance, uh, he says, when, when you go there to tell them, make sure you have a witness. Now, looks at him funny, because some men just like the fight. Make sure you have a witness to tell him to stop. Because some men just like the fight. Very brief moment, but, but a good reminder. Contending for the faith is not looking for the fight. There, there are some in the church, men and women, who are just looking for the fight. No matter the cost, no matter what carnage may be left behind. It grieves the heart of God, stains the garments of his bride. But those who are keeping themselves in the love of God, building, praying, waiting. They're willing to fight, there's courage, but they're not looking for it. So extending mercy, pursuing peace, all the while contending for the faith, wherever that's necessary. There's a humility, a teachability, a meekness that's underneath of courage. Church, God's mercy is expressed through us. We're actually joining with him. This is, this is incredible. It's hard to begin to comprehend this. That we are participating in his saving work as we show mercy and contend for the faith. It's a mercy that we can show only by the mercy of God to us. Remembering, retaining, regaining. It's not something we're going to do in our own strength. That's something we're going to do by our own determination, which may very well be why Jude gives the source for this contending. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's the love of God in the love of God that we endure. In the love of Jesus that we contend. He is our strength. He provides what we need to endure. The mercy that we need for each moment until the day of His coming. So it's the Lord Jesus who is keeping us. And I pray that that would move us to keep ourselves in the love of God. Do you hear the urgency? Do you hear the love in Jude's very condensed letter here? Now is our time to contend for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Let's pray together. Lord, may we be those who extend the mercy that has been shown to us. Lord, in building ourselves up by your word and praying to you fervently, consistently. Lord, it is only your love for us and your spirit indwelling us that can, can move us to do this, it can encourage us we thank you for this word. We pray that as we go from this place, we would be those who courageously, fearfully, humbly 
contend for the faith and entrusted to us. We offer this in Jesus' name. Amen.